Over the past three years, you have shown overwhelming support for the Busy Leaders podcast, ranking it in the top 10% of podcasts in the U.S. Today, we are excited to share that the Busy Leaders podcast is getting a new look and a new feel. What began as a tool to learn from leaders as we navigated the pandemic has evolved to focusing in on the changemakers moving healthcare forward. The podcast's new look and feel is intended to reflect and embrace that evolution. We're excited to introduce the Healthcare Plus podcast hosted by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. In each high-impact segment, Quint and Dan bring together leaders and changemakers from across healthcare to discuss the latest industry insights, offer solutions to some of healthcare's greatest challenges, and provide replenishment and well-being tools that will refill your emotional bank account. With a focus on practical tools, techniques, and best practices, you'll walk away from each episode with ideas you can implement in your own role, organization, and community. I'm Nicole Webb Bodie, partner at Healthcare Plus Solutions Group. Quint Studer and Dan Collard, your host, co-founded Healthcare Plus Solutions Group with the mission of having a positive impact on those that receive care and those that provide care. HPSG specializes in delivering customized solutions that build and develop skills to help healthcare organizations achieve and sustain high performance. Quint is a well-known author, operator, coach, and mentor to many. He has dedicated his time to creating tools and techniques that make healthcare a better place for physicians to practice medicine, patients to receive care, and employees to work. Dan is a seasoned executive with a passion for improving healthcare and leading organizations through change. From rural hospitals to complex health systems and academic medical centers, Dan has helped organizations across the industry attain best-in-class performance. For more information about your host, visit healthcareplussg.com. And now, please welcome today's guest. Welcome to the Healthcare Plus podcast. My name's Quinn Studer, and I'm your host today, and I have a guest called Tim Broderick from Modern Healthcare. And before I get into Tim, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the podcast. We always try to hit healthcare topics, and I'm really excited about this topic because we really get some wonderful experts on this podcast. So, Tim, why don't you tell a little bit of the group uh, about yourself? Thanks, Quint. I really appreciate you having me. Uh, I'm the data and analytics lead for Modern Healthcare Magazine. Uh, Since 2018, I have just been doing a deep dive into uh, all kinds of healthcare data, such as um, hospital cost reports, uh, HCAPs, as we're going to be talking about today. Um, and there's just so much data in healthcare. It's, uh, it's remarkable. Um, recently, we reimagined our data center to make it more accessible to people who are interested in getting um, some really top-level, uh, you know, insightful analysis that includes both uh, the work I've done and our reporters who are really subject matter experts. And I had an opportunity to, um, to, to do some really interesting things with the data and, and found some kind of surprising results. Well, thank you. And how long have you been with Modern Healthcare? Uh, since 2018. 2018. Before then, yeah. I worked in uh, daily newspapers in and around Chicago for most of my career. Oh man, we could really connect because you know I'm a, <laughs> I'm a newspaper um, junkie on all, everything. So yeah, we talked a lot about Chicago. You and my wife come from the same neighborhood, so it's been really really fun as I've gotten to know you. And I got to know uh, of Tim through Anthony Stanowski. Anthony's the head of the Commission of Accreditation of Healthcare Management Education, 
or called Cammy. I'm on the board. And one day I said to Anthony, you know, I was looking and Tim, Tom Dahlberg, who I respect greatly, um, posted something on one of the social media posts that since 2016, Tom printed that HCAPs had been flat. And I love analytics. My whole company is built on diagnose first, then design, then execute. And I just think data can help us point in the right direction. So then I actually had Dan Collard, who's a colleague of mine, dig into it again. So I mentioned it to Anthony and Anthony said, well, if you really want to know the expert of experts on this, talk to Tim at Modern Healthcare. So Tim and I had a long conversation on it um, and he showed me about where the data is. So Tim, if you look back in your history and your analysis you've done, and let's talk about patient experience, for example, with HCAPS, is the comment um, that really since about 2016, the results have stayed pretty much stable or flat? You know, I can't speak to 2016, but, you know, for uh, uh, since 2018 and on, I would say there's very little uh, changes, not, you know, at least in the median uh, uh, values that I've seen. Um, there's, you know, and when I say changes, I would say uh, by a point or so uh, at most. There's not, I haven't seen, I don't see a drastic change like 20 points or more, that kind of thing. No, well, it's interesting to me because, you know, people want to, of course, say pandemic, COVID, the huge impact. But I think if you go back, the the results have been pretty flat even before the pandemic. Um, have, have they, is there any more recent information now as, as the recent information to show is it now that the pandemic is a little bit different, a little bit less impactful, have they seen any change in the results since that? Generally, yes. Um, but again, you're absolutely right. There is not a big shift or anything. But, um, you know, they, they uh, collected the data uh, before the pandemic. In 2020, they stopped uh, simply because of the, you know, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And then they started up. So we have uh, 2021 results. And I look at um, the results for that encompass uh, uh, the government's fiscal year, which goes from October through September. So for 2021, kind of across the board, there seems to be, um, compared to 2019, uh, a shift in, a really small shift down in the numbers. So for instance, um, the uh, the net of who uh, rated their hospitals highly, um, you know, uh, they all saw about a two, one or two uh, point drop in the uh, the net of those who who really like their hospitals, and that's more than nine ten, right? When you say highly, it's ranking at more than nine ten. Yes, we um uh, we if I if I may, we took a look at um, age caps in a little bit differently. Um, a lot of the questions are set up uh, uh, so that you could use a calculation that was made popular by. Uh, uh, People called it a net promoter score. And that's when you take the people who uh, think highly of a place who might rank it 9 or 10 and subtract the people who don't, the people who rank something 6 or below, and you get a net score of those who uh, feel strongly about a place. So we did that with uh, uh, many of the measures that uh, uh, were uh, set up that way. And, you know, when I'm saying net, I mean that 
this is the net number uh, or the net percentage of people who think highly of their hospital. So, for instance, acute care hospitals uh, in 2019, 68% uh, thought highly of them. In 2021, it was 66. So, a very small drop, but um, it's still a drop. And if you consider that these things change at a glacier pace, that seems pretty important. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the net promoter score. I got into it years ago. Um, we use it all the time, our own company. And for those of you new to this, um, if somebody ranks you uh, nine or 10, that means they're promoting you word of mouth. And we know how important word of mouth is in healthcare. I just got an email a little while ago from a lady in the community that her daughter just got referred to an OBGYN and she wants to know, what do I know about this? Because she thinks I'm in healthcare, I must know. And so that she's looking for word of mouth, basically people have had experience. So a nine and 10 means I'm probably going around promoting this place, promoting this facility, promoting this doctor, really almost encouraging people to go that route. Now, a seven or eight is usually I'm satisfied, but I'm not out promoting the person. And a six or below, I might be saying, don't go there. You should stay away. This isn't the place for you. So I think the net promoter score is really, really important in what we're searching for. So when you looked at this, was there any differences between urban and rural? Um, did you did you see anything like differences with location? Um, the, I didn't look specifically at urban and rural hospitals, although I am going to be taking a look at those for a data dive coming up. Um, so that's an excellent suggestion. Um, but we did look at uh, acute care hospitals uh, versus critical access uh, hospitals. And critical access, as you know, um, tend to be uh, rural and more remote. Um, and generally speaking, um, people really like their small acute hospitals. Um, you know, uh, that in terms of the net who rated their hospital highly, um, the small acute hospital actually ha saw an increase from 2019 to 2020 of about one and a half percentage points. Whereas acute care hospitals, uh, those, you know, the small, medium and large acutes all saw a decrease. So, um, yeah, people generally like their, you know, people in, uh, uh rural areas who may have, um, access to just one in their uh, town. Uh, I think they're very attached to their local hospital and will tend to rank that highly. I think that's fascinating because it's a little different than years ago. And I've been in this a long time. So I've been in this since 19, mid 1990s. And again, traveling the country years ago, and I can look at old data, the critical access hospitals really had a challenge. And I think this is such an important topic because they're the endangered species right now in, in, in the United States, yet here people have confidence in them. And that trust is such a key point. Yet at the time, the smaller hospitals were struggling because people had this perception, if I really want the great specialist, if I really want this effect, at one time they showed the taller the hospital, the better the reputation. People connected height to reputation. So when we would go out and work with small hospitals, we would tell them how much harder they had to work to communicate their skill set because everybody knows each other in these critical access communities. They, you know, the nurse is also my daughter's softball coach and maybe you don't see them as a specialist. So 
I would commend the critical access hospitals because that means, and I just was with a whole bunch of them through Ovation Health at a conference. It just shows how hard they're working and what a great job they've done. Um, Really letting people know that, wow, we know what we're doing here. And you know what? If you need to go somewhere else, we can help you get to that somewhere else. So I just want to commend the, the small the small hospitals. And I know you're in, in, in more of into analytics, and this might be a tough question for you. But, you know, when I look at the results and I'm thinking, patient experience has probably gotten more attention in the last 10 years than it had before. We have lots of training, lots of departments. We have software. Is, do you have any idea when you look at this, and that you might not with analytics, any thoughts on um, the challenge that we've had? Because we put more resources into it with, with less results. Well, um, I can say that uh, as we were looking at the data, I tried to um, get kind of beyond the uh, uh, headline statistic of who rated their hospital highly and who would definitely recommend the hospital to get into those patient experience uh, measures. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, uh, for instance, with um, uh, the net uh, percentage of staff who always explained about medicines, pretty much across the board, um, it was, you know, the, uh, that attitude was flat in 28 and 2019. But after the pandemic, uh, you saw those, uh, those nets drop for everyone, including the small acute. Um, so it's, I like seeing those questions. Um, it, I think it does kind of drive past the, um, the fondness that someone living in a, uh, a rural area might have for their local hospital. Um, and I think that sort of, uh, uh, hits upon something that you talked about with the uh, patient experience. It's, um, it's important and it's a challenge to find out. Yes, they'll go to the hospital, but how do they feel when they're in the hospital? How how is the hospital serving their needs and their uh, their desires? You know, um, I get into this. I live it every single day. I have boots on the ground, and I got to be real careful because I tell people not to make excuses. Then I go give them excuses. You know, <laughs> talking about something interesting. When we're looking at healthcare today, what we're noticing is there's so much inexperience. And it's just the nature of the beast. You have a lot of people retire, leave the industry during COVID, not coming back. So you have a lot of brand new managers, anywhere between 25 and 50% of people are are brand new managers. And they're wonderful people. They're passionate people. And they're going to be really good. But it takes some experience before you really are really good. Then you talk about the new grads. So now we've got all these new grads. And when you have a bunch of new grads and I go around and I say, I've not heard anyone say, I can't believe these new nurse graduates. I've never seen them more experienced or coming out of nursing school. It's usually they just didn't have the opportunity to get the experience because of COVID. So I'm now rationalizing for those of you that if you want to rationalize, call me. I'm an expert at rationalization. You can, I think if I'm looking and I'm a nurse and I'm just struggling to do certain things, maybe this explanation, I'm just not finding the time or the skill set right now because I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Because I do think experience has a lot to do with being able to multitask when you're working with patients. 
Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, we can connect some dots. I mean, there's, uh, it's very well known uh, what a uh, challenge it is to uh, uh, attract and retain staff right now. And especially if you're looking at a rural hospital, a critical access hospital that uh, may not have access to the kinds of funds, um, you know, it's a bit of a dumb, double whammy. I believe that there, we just had recent reports of, um, you know, uh, the, some hospitals, out, uh, systems out east with uh, a, a big bonus, uh, offering huge bonuses for people who sign on. Um, Travel nursing has just been very lucrative. So, you know, uh, um, you have those, you have those added costs for labor, uh, trying to, to grab those people. And now, of course, with the end of the, um, uh, public health emergency, a lot of extra funding is, uh, is going away. So, you know, you have those higher expenses, you have those challenges to attract and retain, uh, talented people. But you also, I think we're still dealing with the fallout from the pandemic. You have a lot of these professionals, um, frankly, experience some severe burnout and mental health uh, uh, challenges. So um, yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult. And, of course, there's one uh, new thing this year that we're keeping an eye on is the uh, CMS uh, allowing um, small hospitals to turn into um, basically emergency rooms. Uh, that's that's going to be something to keep an eye on whether or not those that will be a, a viable option. I think too that's one of those things. When you close a hospital, you need to say something. You know, we're going to keep it for the community, keep it open, those types of things. And I have such respect for people, all people in healthcare, but again, particularly those in the small markets. Um, Nicole Webb Bodie, who's worked with me for years, will tell you that we took a trip one time and we were. I was speaking in a hospital and the largest room they had was the lobby where patients come in. So I was doing a presentation to the staff, family members, visitors, volunteers, you name it, because it's the only room they had available in the small critical access hospitals. Do you know anything with geography? Because, you know, at one time people would say, well, people may be in this part of the country tend to be more positive about their care than this part of the country. Have you ever noticed, does geography have any impact on this? Um, I don't know. I haven't looked at it, uh, in that way. I can, um, your, your suggestions are, uh, leading me down some rabbit holes, Quint. <laughs> well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> oh no, it's uh, it's so easy to do for me. Um, but no, we've, uh, I know that we've done reporting, uh, on, uh, uh, places, uh, you know, some specific, uh, market, uh, profiles, uh, you know, the, uh, challenges for rural uh, hospitals versus metropolitan. Um, I think that uh, my impression is is that you know people are very attached to the you know when you have a hospital in town, it's not just a place to go for your health care, but it's also an economic generator, right? You know, it, there's uh, people who work at the hospital also live in the surrounding area. Um, so you know, when that goes away, it can be very devastating for a community. You know, it's not just that they have to travel farther for health care, but, you know, some of their neighbors uh, are gone. They, they have to leave they're, or they, they're out of work. Um, you know, it's, you know, the town becomes less attractive to uh, other industry because, you know, there's not the, there's not a, a, a hospital right there. So, um, yeah, the, I, I think when you, a community that has a hospital and, um, 
they're afraid that it's, they're going to lose it, I think they become quite attached to it. And I think we see that, uh, that's my impression, um, when you see that uh, uh, some of these smaller hospitals, uh, even acute care hospitals, uh, small acute care hospitals, small uh, critical access types, um, they, they get generally uh, higher net scores. Um, response rates. Talk about response rate a little bit, if you don't mind, though. I know you get enough response, so it's valid, reliable, and certain. Any thoughts on looking at the history of response rates? Well, there have been some studies. There's been some interesting things out uh, that the response rate for um, HCAPS has been going down. Um, they're, uh, they're starting, I believe the CMS has been recommending they uh, they try to do some uh, alternative modes of getting responses, for instance, phone interviews. Um, but interestingly, um, this plays into a, uh, a larger concern among the survey community that um, people are experiencing real survey fatigue. Um, we did our recent survey of executive um, uh, uh, patient satisfaction firms. Uh, that was brought up by a number of these firms that said, you know, they have to go through and the traditional way of, hey, take a, you know, uh, say an email survey or, you know, a printed thing. They're doing focus groups. They're doing, um, you know, uh, uh, phone calls, cell phones. They're really trying to utilize a lot of different tools to go out and get the kind of responses uh, to, to learn about uh, patient satisfaction. Um, but, you know, every time you visit a website and you get that little pop-up that says, hey, can you take a few minutes to take a survey, that's contributing to the problem. People are just really saying, no, I really don't want to do that. I'm the same way. You know, do, do I have a few minutes to take a survey? I might. Do I have a few minutes to take 10 surveys? No. And so, you know, that's kind of contributing to the problem. I think that does tie to it. You know, I remember years ago when somebody get a survey, they'd say, well, gee, nobody asked. Now they say, my gosh, everybody's asked. And I think that's why we have to look at also the number of questions. You know, um, I find certain people have really, again, not in healthcare because we, we get addicted more. We think more is better. I'm a big believer less is better. But, you know, you look at survey tools today, it's pretty much one or two questions. It's how did you like this person or overall? overall recommendation. I'm a big believer in you ask fewer questions and then you can dig into it based on based on those types of um, results. Anything specific to when you look at the survey tool, um, you know, things like um, there's some more individual, you, you mentioned the thing explaining medications. Uh, other questions that jump out at you that you think are ones that pay most attention to? You know, I, um, well, there's, it, it's kind of funny. Generally speaking, uh, the questions about doctors and nurses, um, I didn't uh, go hard into uh, uh, presenting those because, uh, because people really like their doctors and nurses. Um, so I think that, you know, uh, those, those answers were consistently uh, had higher median response rates than others. Um, so I kind of looked at um, how the uh, the kinds of things that uh, doctors and nurses uh, need to do to interact. So, for instance, um, Net, who strongly agreed they understood the responsibilities of managing their health after they left to the hospital, um, pretty much across the board, those uh, in 2021 responses were lower uh, for everyone. And among critical access hospitals, 
there was a uh, it looked like there was a trend down for our uh, starting in 2018 and 2019 and in 2021 their their net percentage was lower than larger or medium uh, uh, critical access hospitals so that could be uh, that could be a very interesting thing in terms of uh, communicating what people need to do uh, for when they leave and how they need to uh, care for themselves. Um, pre- uh, Net who took their agreed that staff took their preferences into account. Um, again, that's one that was really rising uh, 2018 and 2019 with small critical access hospitals. Um, uh, scoring better net scores than their larger medium counterparts, parts, and then they fell down to the bottom of the scale. Again, not a big change, not a huge change, but um, they scored in 2021 less than their larger and medium. But I also wonder, you know, that's such an interesting question. You know, staff took their preferences into account when determining healthcare needs. Um, I wonder what that means. You know, uh, what do they mean by their preferences? You know, we've seen a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, critical uh, thinking in terms of uh, the pandemic. People very suspicious. You know, went from applauding their healthcare workers as heroes to some people really uh, being suspicious of them. But um, you know, there's a lot of other things that might. Uh, come into play here as well. I mean, the uh, f- the ability of people, you know, uh, to financially say get prescriptions uh, that they that they they may need. You know, um, the uh, the idea of well, wanting to go home instead of going to a transitional care place um, that would be something I would be very interested. In. I hope someone is digging into that uh, a lot deeper. I love that because I think what we want to do with the people that listen in, and we have lots of people that listen in, is no, we're always looking for things. We are at Healthcare Plus Solutions Group. You are. We're going to give your contact information. We're seeing people dig into this and two, a couple of thoughts. For example, we do a lot of work with Airmark and they're piloting now offering for discharge, offering nutrition meals that can be delivered at home. Because they find that when people get home, they might not be eating as they were suggested they should eat. In fact, they might be eating wrong. Um, arranging transportation, arranging medications, you know, you, it's just a whole different ballgame. I have a 98-year-old mother, and I will guarantee you managing her care is very complex, very complex on medication, food, um, all sorts of things. So we're looking at organizations really taking that post-discharge and saying, what more can we offer? What more we can do? I think this preference thing, because I, I love healthcare because these are open book tests. So, for example, I've been doing writing a book with Catherine Meese called The Human Margin. And one of the questions is, do you feel you're getting organizational support? And I say, well, don't guess. Ask a person, how do you, what do you perceive as organizational support? So I guess, Tim, with that preference question, I would probably explain what preference means and then get into with the person. So what are your preferences? And one of the things we've been recommending is don't ask a lot of questions, but start off with what's your biggest concern or worry right now? You know, let's go right to your biggest concern or worry. But I do think sometimes we have to explain the lingo because somebody might feel one thing, but then 
And, and we've seen it. They actually, the staff will say, but I provided this, but maybe we didn't connect the dots. We had to change our wording to match what the question was going to be just so there'd be a better understanding of it. So I, for those people that are listening, Tim's always looking for people that are doing things, people that are trying things. And so how can they access? Because when I was talking to you, the data, your database, how can people access um, the information, the data and analytics that you've been pulling and digging and talking about? Well, Modern Healthcare just soft launched uh, a reimagining of our data center uh, at modernhealthcare.com. Um, and we're very excited about it. Uh, we've uh, we've found a way to have a home for not just the surveys and lists that we've published uh, for many, many years, but um, a place that people can go to to um, really see uh, uh, dashboards on different topics. We have uh, a look at hospital uh, cost reports. We've uh, got safety and quality data, as we've been talking about here, uh, information on staffing and compensation, and uh, mergers and acquisition data po- powered by a partnership uh, with Ponder and Company. Um, within some of those, we uh, we don't just do the uh, higher level um, data dive, you know, showing median uh, values, but for hospitals, wherever it's possible, you're able to search and click through to see spe- uh, a specific hospitals' numbers compared to uh, a custom peer group that we've uh, uh, created based on a number of uh, different sources. So uh, not only can you get the higher level uh, uh, analytics, but you can dive into um, your or your own unique hospital as well. We're also going to be expanding this. I mean, this is just the beginning. We're looking at post-acute data with uh, uh, skilled nursing facilities. We're going to be looking at insurers, uh, and we're also looking at uh, hospital systems. Um, so there's uh, hopefully a lot more to come. That would be so appreciated. I was just uh, speaking at the National Healthcare Corporation that runs a lot of skilled nursing centers. And, you know, everybody's looking for data. And the other thing I love about, Tim, what you're offering is not only can we learn best practices if we're open to learning best practices, but we also, in a way, can take away our own excuses. So, for example, we can find somebody in our own similar to us that's having success there. So we get a double win. We get the best practice we can go find, but we also find, well, they figured out how to do this. Again, been in the healthcare system one time looking at infection rates. All of a sudden, we found a few departments that had very low infections. Okay, they're in the same hospital, the same everything, but they have figured something out. And so I I think what your data is going to do is give a lot of solutions to people if they take the time, which I think the type of listeners we get are very skewed to solution. They're very skewed to analytics. They're very skewed to looking to improve healthcare. So this is the right audience for you to be talking to. So I I want to thank you. And I again, I, I think you confirmed the fact truly that since at least 2018 or Tom Dahlberg and Dan Collar's work 2016, um, HCAPs have been flat. And, you know, that's with a lot of resources put into it. So we have to step back and say, okay, what can we do differently? What, what, what can we look at? And certainly I think certain things have been impactful, but if you go back to 2018, you can't just blame agency staffing. You just can't blame some things. Um, they can have an influence. I also do think we've got a challenging road ahead of us 
because we do have a lot of new managers. We have a lot of new staff and experience takes experience is vital to be able to multitask many of the things we're doing with with the patient. So I want to thank you and Modern Healthcare um, for doing this. We're excited. You know, we're sponsor the best places to work um, with Modern Healthcare. And we're very excited about that. And and Tim, I'm so appreciative of, of your work because you're a you're a diagnostician in a way. And we need diagnosticians because if we don't get the diagnosis right, we don't get the treatment right. So thank you very much for being with Healthcare Plus today. Well, I appreciate you taking the time with me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Plus podcast. For more information about our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com.